0: Welcome to episode 30 of Pub Crawl, a publishing podcast about reading, writing, books, and occasionally booze. I'm your host, S.J. Jones, called J.J. I'm an author and erstwhile editor.
1: And I'm your co host, Kelly Van Sant. I am a contracts manager and a freelance editor.
0: We are both contributors with the Publishing Crawl blog, and together we have over 15 years of industry experience. And today we're continuing with our genre series that we started last week. Last week we had an introduction to the concept of genre in publishing. Uh So uh, today we're going to go a little bit more in-depth into one of them. We are going to do science fiction and fantasy. Yay! Huzzah! Um... I'm praying this podcast recording goes well because if you weren't on Twitter, you might have. I spilled water on my keyboard. And I have a laptop, so it's not like it's a separate keyboard or anything. But I'd spilled water on my laptop and I was like, oh no. (laughs) Yeah. But I think I got, I mean, it's working fine now. I got everything very quickly. I basically, if any of y'all spill water on your laptop, the things to do are. Immediately unplug your computer, take out your battery, mop up everything as fast as you can, flip it over, and like dry it in front of a fan for like two days. Um, that that's That's apparently what worked for my computer, so we're good on that front. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about science fiction and fantasy. uh
1: mm-hmm. I think those are probably my favorite genres.
0: Yeah, I would agree. It's probably the aside from YA, it's what I know best, I think. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So, if we were to define science fiction and fantasy, just broadly that category or that genre, what would you define it as?
1: I would say that I would I think they're they're lumped together and I see why, but I don't know that I could think of an overarching description for both. I think science fiction tends to include Scientific elements, usually a lot of technology, usually a focus on the future, whether the distant future or the near future. Uh, sometimes there's aliens, but not always. Um, those, I would say, are kind of general, broad hallmarks of science fantasy, science fiction, rather. Basically just technology, future, pseudoscience-y stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantasy is usually magic Mystical creatures, uniform, unicorns, uniforms. Wow! <laughs> I just opened my cider, guys. I haven't already had a full one, Ooh, so strongbow. Yeah, strongbow. So, uh, so I guess that's the kind of that's the kind of podcast this is going to be.
0: <laughs> you know, strongbow as a cider is actually, or at least in the in England where I first encountered it, is actually more alcoholic content than beer. Mm-hmm. So. And it tastes yeah. like apple juice, so it's pretty great.
1: <laughs> it is really great. I do really love cider. Um, I think you were actually the first person who introduced me to Strongbow, I think when we were down at the local in yeah, downtown local Manhattan.
0: Yeah, because mm-hmm. it was one of the few bars at the time that had Strongbow on tap.
1: Yeah, that, those were great nights, yes, they were. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, magical creatures, unicorns, not uniforms, uh, elves, or ogres, trolls, dwarves, that kind of stuff, your typical Tolkien fantasy, magic, um, portal fantasies, you know, going through another world, Narnia, things like that. So that's kind of broadly what I would say some of the hallmarks of those genres are. I don't think that everything within those categories needs to tick all those boxes, Mm-hmm. But I think some of the those are some of the things we see most frequently.
0: Yeah, I tend I call personally science fiction and fantasy the genre of "what if," because the thing that connects them is a sort of a speculative element. And by speculative, I just mean you take a question, particularly in science fiction, you have "what if" in the future we are able to teleport to. Planets on the other other side of the galaxy, you know that kind of a thing. Um, So the the what if factor when it comes to fantasy is, what if dragons were real? You know that kind of that that's sort of the way I look at that genre. And if you want to break it down specifically, because even though broadly speaking, fantasy is kind of magic and science fiction is science based, there's a lot of it's really more on the spectrum, I would say, because there uh-huh. are a lot of novels that people call science fiction that really is kind of fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> um, like X-Men, for example, is a perfect example of technically these powers came from like a mutation, which is a scientific pseudo-explanation, but they're really uh-huh. magic powers, Like, let's be honest. Uh-huh. Um, but I always like to say fantasy is this concept of what could have been and science fiction is the concept of what could be, so that's broadly the way I, I define them-huh um, so let's talk about then publishing about science fiction and fantasy publishing, which and we mentioned this in the genre podcast about how fiction that's shelved in general fiction can have science fiction and fantasy elements, but where it's shelved Uh being a decision made by the publisher. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this publishing distinction. Like you could have a book that's general fiction with, you know, fantastic elements, or you have a book that's shelved in science fiction and fantasy. And what is the difference? If there is a qualitative difference between the two.
1: What is the difference? I'm trying to think of a good example, first, because it's always easier to speak in specifics. I guess one example that's coming to my mind Im- immediately is Station Eleven,
0: mm, mm-hmm.
1: which um, has been broadly considered a you know just literary fiction. I'm sure that if you went to the bookstore and you went to look for that book, it would just be in the fiction section. You'd search by author. Oh, really? It
0: would, no. It would depend. I mean, that book won a lot of. Science fiction fantasy awards. It won a Nebula. I think it was nominated for Hugo. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not. Well, I mean, the, I don't even want to talk about the Hugo's. But I know, I know. <laughs> we won't go there. But I think, I think it was the Nebula, the British, the British Science Fiction Fantasy Awards. So it's kind of, kind of a crossover in that regard. It crosses genres, perhaps.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I was gonna say it definitely. If you had to nail it down as a genre, I would say science fiction. It is sort of a dystopian, and dystopian falls under the science fiction umbrella. But I think that book was packaged very much as a literary book.
0: I think, too, this this also goes to your publishing history. Emily St. John Mandel had published other books Previous mm-hmm. to Station Eleven, Station Eleven was her breakout novel, but she had pr- published, I believe, two books prior to this, and they were—they did not contain speculative elements. She right. came into science fiction and fantasy from sort of literary fiction, I think. Right. Um, yeah. So they were yeah. being
1: consistent with kind of her author branding and her publishing career.
0: The the other thing is so when when i'm looking at if i okay i'll i'll do it this from this point of view from the acquiring point of view if i were an editor and i were acquiring a novel that had speculative elements honestly i have to weigh whether or not i think it would do better with a science fiction fantasy reader or with a or with a literary reader and that sort of Stra and those, well, maybe that's better to focus on the reader of science fiction and fantasy and versus the reader of literary fiction Mm -hmm. because that's kind of what publishers are looking at when they're talking about markets. And this may not necessarily be every reader of science fiction and fantasy, but the perceived market of what it is. Mm -hmm. So, people, this market tends to be full of people who read a lot of science fiction and fantasy. I think the reason Emily St. Jean- St. John Mandel was considered a crossover is because a lot of her previous readers are not readers of science fiction and fantasy. They are readers of literary fiction, so they, she kind of brought some of them over with her. Um, and because she was marketed as science fiction fantasy, a lot of science fiction fantasy readers found her. But I would say that your typical SFF reader... Reads a lot of science fiction, fantasy. Uh-huh. That they read, um, and a lot, and there's a lot of kind of subcategories of of science fiction, fantasy that we all kind of have gravitate towards. Like for me, I tend to like epic fantasy, uh-huh. um, the kind of this like big sprawling story, uh, you know, with kind of a big good versus evil. Not like, well, I mean, Lord of the Rings is probably your best example of, yeah, of epic that's- fantasy. Um, kind of the er er-fantasy novel, I guess. Or rather, fantasy as we know it, perhaps. Um, Right,
1: every every fantasy is, you know, from now on has derivative aspects of Tolkien. And uh, when they don't, it's always really interesting. You know, like, J.K. Rowling's elves are not Tolkien elves. And that's really interesting because almost every other elf is of that Tolkien mold.
0: Yeah, um... And, but then even then, J.K. Rowling is drawing on fantasy traditions herself. Mm-hmm. I would consider Harry Potter epic fantasy. Oh, I would too. Absolutely. It may not be high fantasy, which is kind of what people think of as like with swords and wizards and...
1: Right, that medieval flavor.
0: Yeah, that Western, particularly the Western medieval flavor, is, mm-hmm. most people think as high fantasy. Epic mm. fantasy, I would consider, you know, kind of just a grand story. Like, I consider His Dark Materials epic fantasy. I mean, mm-hmm. that's about as big scale-wise as you can get in a book. Right. Um, the Wheel of Time series, I would mm-hmm. consider epic fantasy. Um, so, there's, there's kind of that subset. Mm-hmm. There's what people call sword and sorcery, which is similar to high fantasy, but it's kind of smaller scale, not quite so like this big good against evil, but more like fun, you know. Wizard's
1: first (laughs) rule. It's like the classic one, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was actually thinking of Scott Lynch's books, um, The Lies of Locke Lamoran, which, Uh those are excellent books. Um, And they're, you know, it's about a group of people in this fantasy setting. They call themselves the Gentleman Bastards. And it's just this fun kind of swashbuckling adventure in a fantasy setting. And that's what I typically think of sword and sorcery. Uh-huh. Um I'm trying to think if there's any other distinctions. Um so I think it's kind of easier to think of science fiction fantasy publishing in that way, where you have a story that has a fantastic setting, and I'm including like space in this or the future, because those are all fantastic settings. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can see it already fitting into these sort of categories, subcategories within the genre, it may be more appropriate to publish it as science fiction fantasy. Whereas, if it comes in and it kind of it doesn't really fit into any of those very neatly. Um, it may be written in a bit more literary style, or the scope is smaller. Like, Emily St. John Mandel's book, I think, is beautifully written and really interesting look at kind of the way humanity goes on after a, a horrific apocalyptic event. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not about the science fiction fantasy elements. It's about the human condition. Right with a fantastic, within a fantastic framework. So the kind of, if you were to balance the scales kind of one way, you know, I've got science fiction, fantasy, and that's the point of the book versus, you know, it not being the point of the book. If you kind of weigh them, if one outweighs the other, I think it gives you a better idea of where to publish it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... So that's kind of my two cents. I mean, again, this can just be a matter of opinion of whoever buys the book. Also, whoever buys the book, I include the publisher. Because there are certain publishers that only do literary fiction. So as a result, if you submit a book to that publisher and it has fantastic elements, they're going to publish it as literary fiction. Mm -hmm. And then there are science fiction fantasy publishing houses, you know, Ace, Rock, Del Rey, Tor. These are, like, well-established science fiction fantasy publishers. That is all that they publish. So if you send it to a science fiction fantasy publisher and they acquire your book, that's what it's going to be published as. Uh-huh. So, again, we kind of come ba- come down to the arbitrariness a little bit of the business decisions that go into publishing. Um. But, so we we kind of did a little bit of science of fantasy in particular, so let let's talk about science fiction, if there are any sort of subcategories of science fiction the way they are in fantasy. I think there are, but I think
1: all the ones I, I think fantasy has a lot more, or maybe maybe it doesn't. maybe I just tend to read. Only certain kinds of science fiction. I do read a lot of dystopian. Dystopian was really heavy in the market for a lot recently, yeah. and that's kind of going away. It's it's really oversaturated, and uh, I haven't haven't read any dystopian in quite a while, and probably won't. But um, there was a lot of it at one point, and I mean it's been around forever, but it really experienced a huge bump, you know, post Hunger Games. Um, and so there's dystopian certainly. There is... I'm trying to think of what you would call, in terms of subgenres, the, you know, like the Ender's Game or the, the big alien battles for... Space opera? Yeah, space operas. I guess space opera is pretty all-inclusive. A lot of Heinlein was space operas. I've read a lot of Robert Heinlein.
0: Really? I don't think I've read a single Heinlein novel.
1: I I dated a guy who was way, way, way into Robert Heinlein, and as a result, I read a lot of Robert Heinlein, Uh, which is not my particular jam, but I've read a lot of it, and I would probably say a lot of those fall into the space opera type thing. Not necessarily aliens and big battles, but like some kind of big... Extraordinary story and betrayal and heartbreak and
0: journeying to another land and I would also say there's space opera and that's kind of anything that takes place in space and has like a like right Dune Dune mm-hmm. is one of those weird novels that you would kind of say is almost fantasy even though it takes place on a different planet and all that sort of st- stuff so there's Dune. Um, space opera is anything I kind of consider taking place in space or on another mm-hmm. planet that has kind of big drama attached, and I think kind of a it's not actually a subset of space opera, but I would say it's a it's a subset of science fiction fantasy overall. It's hard science fiction, the ones right. that focus like technology that's as plausible as the author can make it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would something like the Martian i would consider hard sci-fi right because he did a lot of research into trying to try and make it as plausibly realistic as possible in terms of uh-huh. the actual science um and I'm trying to think of, and then and there's kind of speculative near future like the ones that are take place like i don't know like 10 15 years in the future Right. take like one element of our society and kind of heighten that aspect. amplify it yeah, yeah. Um, I would consider that science fiction
1: mm-hmm. we get a lot of movies in that kind of genre
0: yeah yeah um, a lot of the work by of Philip K. Dick I would consider kind of like at the time they were written um, sort of like near like speculative near future um, his Philip K. Dick's short stories have actually been turned into a lot of great movies. Uh, Total Recall. (laughs) Uh Um, Minority Report was one of them.
1: Yep, that's the one I was thinking of.
0: Yeah. Um, So, you know, often you've got these great sort of think pieces in science fiction, I think, where, you know, you sort of take an element of our society or an element of technology and kind of extrapolate that to an extreme, and then you have you know, this really interesting sort of what, uh, this bizarro version of what our society can look like in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I would say science fiction is typically forward looking Mm -hmm. and fantasy is maybe more imaginative. Um, it's not, they're not, I mean, fantasy does not have to take place in the past. Um, urban right. fantasy, urban fantasy, yeah. Paranormals often take place in a contemporary setting, um, but they're more just imaginative because it's generally populated with things that do not exist in our real life. Mm-hmm. That's kind of why I call it that. Um, I'm trying to, so we missed anything. I mean, I'm sure we've missed a whole bunch of... I mean, I'm sure right. any of your science fiction fantasy readers probably yelling at us, you missed this, you missed that, <laughs> that. Yeah. Well, there's magical realism, too,
1: which is, you know, essentially a, a contemporary story or a straight story that just has one element that is somewhat heightened. Um, you know, I read uh, several years ago, there was a book called The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake mm-hmm. by Amy Bender. And... The only, you know, the only thing in that book was that there was a character who could taste the emotions of the people who prepared her food. So whatever they were feeling when they were cooking, she would eat their cooking and be able to feel those feelings. And that was the only surreal element of the book. Otherwise, you know, it's about this girl growing up and her parents and her siblings and, you know, just her navigating life with this one twist.
0: I don't actually consider magical realism part of science fiction fantasy. Actually. You don't? No, I don't.
1: Why? Because, Just because it's not enough?
0: No, actually, because I guess it kind of comes back to the the point. Mm. If the point of the book is to be about this, about the fantastic, then I consider it science fiction fantasy. But for the most part, magical realism takes a fantastic element... And uses it almost as as an extended metaphor mm-hmm. for something, and I love magical realism it's extremely difficult to get right mm-hmm. I think I, I think a lot of people try and say this book is magical realism when it 's actually a fantasy novel with really thin world building yeah <laughs> magical realism is basically when the fantastic element is either a metaphor for something um, or an extension of, of of the framework the world is in. I'm going to try and explain that a little bit more succinctly and clearly. Um, it's actually easier to give examples, as we would said before. So the particular sadness of lemon cake was that she could taste emotions.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And there's a point to this in that it's not about the fact that she can taste emotions. It's what this ability says about the world she lives in and everyone around her. Uh another work of magic what I would consider magical realism is Imaginary Girls by Eva Suma. Uh-huh. And this book it's so hard to it's describe. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. It's <laughs> also really hard to describe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I would begin to describe it really. But basically, it's, it's, just, it's a story about sisters. That's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to. It's this beautiful work about sisters. And the, the lengths that they would go for each other, particularly the lengths that Ruby would go for her younger sister. And Ruby is kind of this mad, manic pixie dream girl, but she's sort of sinister. She can make things happen because she just wants them to. Mm -hmm. and the way that warps the world around them. But it's not about Ruby's so-called magical abilities. She doesn't have them.
1: No, it's not a story about a girl who can will things into being. It's it's much subtler than that.
0: Yeah, and I would say that the sort of speculative or fantastic elements in Imaginary Girls is really an extended metaphor for the relationship the two girls have with each other.
1: Right. It's not even necessarily clear or important whether or not these things are actually happening. Yes. It doesn't matter whether or not Ruby is actually making these things happen, or if this is just the way that it feels. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the reality of the situation is not important for the reader to know. You get the point of the story without that
0: yeah so magical realism I don't really put into the fantasy category um I think it's hard to say I think it's hard for people to get their minds around magical realism it's a little bit like I kind of just know it when I see it <laughs> that's the thing about magical realism um and I think it like I said it's extremely hard to get right mm-hmm. um most of the time, when I saw books that came in and it said, This is a work of magical realism, and I read it and I was like, No, this really just wants to be a fantasy novel. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's interesting things too about works that
1: cross the line. So, would you categorize the Lunar Chronicles as science fiction or fantasy? Oh,
0: I would consider that science fantasy. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was gonna say I mean, I, I would probably put it in the fantasy category, even though there's a lot of sciencey stuff.
0: It's like different
1: planets and well, it's the fairy tale aspect of it, I think. And fairy tales and fairy tale retellings kind of fall squarely in the fantasy realm. But Lunar Chronicles of course has androids and, you know, all kinds of other stuff that's clearly sciencey. So that kind of straddles both.
0: Yeah, this is what I mean by science fiction and fantasy are on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. You've got kind of works that are in the middle. Um, Like I said, X-Men, which is... Or comic books in general, or any superhero? I think any superhero story, yeah. Is kind of that sort of middle science fantasy ground where a lot of the powers come from... Aliens, or you know, some sort radioactive of radioactive spider bite, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or you know, or it's a genetic mutation that has like some sort of pseudo scientific explanation, but is really just magic. Um, and it, that's kind of the way I feel about the Lunar Chronicles, which is nominally science fiction, but the science is kind of hand wavy <laughs> in it. You know, it's just eh. it's not particularly science. Yeah, <laughs> science. And you imagine like in jazz hands? Science. <laughs> Um, and, yeah, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that kind of, in the middle, there's a, it was actually, there's actually a, a series by Jane Yolen that I loved as a child. I think it's called the Pit Dragon Trilogy. The first one is, uh, I believe it's Dragon's Blood, Dragon's Blood, Heart's Blood, and Ascending of Dragons, and technically these books take place on a, f- planet in the far future with two moons, you know, and the native lizard on this planet is what we would call a dragon. They breathe fire, they, you know. Um so again, it's basically fantasy, but it's set on a planet. Um and she and Jane Yolan goes through some explanation. Like she has like this kind of fake encyclopedia entry about the planet they're on and explains a little bit about what the weather's like, what happens during this you know, what the physiology of the dragons are that would make them fly and be able to breathe fire and and all that sort of stuff. And of course there's like a mental connection between our main character Jacken, and his dragon. So again, really it's fantasy even though it's set in space, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this particular genre, I think, is on a spectrum in that regard.
1: Yeah, I can see it. (laughs) I don't know. Everything else, all I I can think of at the moment is just, like, my favorite books in this genre, and why I personally like reading this genre so much.
0: Yeah, I... (laughs) Yeah, aside from aside from YA, and particularly, I like fantasy and science fiction young adult.
1: I was going to say too. I, I actually don't read much contemporary YA at all. Almost all of the YA I read is science fiction or fantasy.
0: Yeah, I'm the same. I do read some contemporary YA, but not nearly as much as science fiction fantasy.
1: Right, I certainly do too. I think I think for me, part of what it is is, as you were saying, the questions of what if and that extended metaphor. I think a lot of science fiction and fantasy can use these fantastical elements or situations to comment on things that, you know, that we can relate to as actual real life experiences, but that metaphorically you can add this other layer to it through you, the use of the genre and the hallmarks of the genre. And I just really like, I like that duality.
0: Yeah. The, um, there's that quote by GK Chesterton, which is fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us dragons exist, but because they can tell us drag, they tell us that dragons can be beaten. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I like about, science fiction and fantasies, it presents you with this obstacle that may not have a real life analog, but can stand for so many other obstacles, you know, that with a little bit of extrapolation, you can apply to your own life if you have troubles in your own life in that regard. Um, and, I'm just not interested in reading... It's like, why I don't read a lot of adult fiction is I'm just not interested in reading about the here and now and people I know. Yeah. I would... I mean, there's some element of escapism. Like, I do read often for that escapist element. I like going into a whole other world. I like, you know, leaving mine and having adventures elsewhere. So that's part of the reason I like to read science fiction fantasy. Um, But I also think particularly in science fiction it can be extremely thought provoking in ways that i don't think literary fiction that literary fiction often aspires to but doesn't quite achieve sometimes uh-huh. like the sparrow which is gorgeous and really beautiful book and really just makes you think about humanity and uh-huh. It, it's 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 gorgeous. I highly recommend this book. Or yeah, The Handmaid's Tale, which I know some people consider just straight up literary fiction, but that's dystopian. One of the yeah, first. no,
1: that's dystopian for sure.
0: Um, I actually
1: finally just read that for the first time a couple of years ago. You hadn't read it before. I had not read it before, and it was really weird because I, for a long time in my early twenties, I was having this recurring nightmare that would like extend itself every night this is weird we don't need to get into my dreams or anything but (laughs) when I would talk to people about this particular recurring nightmare everybody said that it reminded them a lot of the handmaid's tale for various reasons even though the quote-unquote plot of the dream was different there were a lot of things that were related and They would ask me if I'd read it, and I'd say, no, I've actually never read it. And then when I finally got around to reading it a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, this is, like, my nightmare. This is really uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a brilliant book.
0: Yeah, we actually read that for high school. It was a signed reading. Mm. Uh, So that was where I first encountered The Handmaid's Tale. Um. So, yeah, I think a lot of, particularly science fiction, really is very thought-provoking about the state of humanity, about who we are as a society, I think. Mm-hmm. Often science fiction is really good at just making you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, And I think it does it often much better than most literary fiction these days. <laughs> but that's maybe just showing my bias. <laughs> what about alternate history? What would you consider that?
1: alternate history
0: like the man in the high castle
1: right I don't know I mean I guess it would fall somewhat under this umbrella because it's it, I mean it's not historical fiction but it's, it's the path not taken of the world <laughs>
0: I, I guess more fantasy than science fiction yeah, I consider alternate history a type of fantasy as well, mm-hmm. because it it's exactly that. It never happened, but it it is a what if.
1: Right. And I would call, you know, parallel universes, I would probably call fantasy. So I, I think alternate histories make sense there as
0: well. Hmm. Yeah. So I wasn't really going to go into this particularly deeply for this one, but I wanted to talk a little bit about horror. Mm. Horror doesn't actually really have its own genre. And it is often lumped into science fiction and fantasy. It's like science fiction, fantasy, horror. You often see that in bookstores. They're kind of all in the same section. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, what would you consider horror? Would you consider that a separate category or genre?
1: Would I would I would s I would think I think that it's its own thing, but I think if I had to tie it to an existing genre, I would put it closer to mystery than I would to sci fi fantasy. Really? Yeah, because I think that the thing with horror is horror is about amounting tension and, and building dread kind of, at least in me, I don't read horror and I don't watch horror films. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate being scared. <laughs> I hate being scared. I don't have that thing where being scared is enjoyable. I hate amusement park rides. Like I, I just, it's not my thing. And, but I have read some horror cause I've read a lot of classic horror and I've read some horror short stories because I read a lot of short story collections and the limited exposure that I have had to it. So take all this with a grain of salt. Um, it's it's about that inevitable sense of dread you're you're going somewhere and wherever you're going isn't good but you can't get off you're just going to keep going keep going keep going and it's not the same as suspense but i think it's a parallel emotional journey that the reader goes on um and so I would think that it's closer to that than it is to sci-fi fantasy, but that's just me.
0: Well, the thing about horror is that it could, it in, kind of like YA, it encompasses many genres. Because right. Because you can have horror that has speculative or fantastic elements. You've got, you know, like monsters or whatever, ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um or you can have just.
1: Isn't there even like horror romance? Like, isn't is Anna dressed in blood? Uh... Yes,
0: I would consider that horror romance. Or Shaun of the Dead, I consider right, it yeah, like a horror rom-com. rom com. <laughs> rom.
1: I love that movie. That's I a great too. movie.
0: Um, that that movie is. Br- I think the creators call that a Zom rom com mm-hmm. it's a zombie romantic comedy. But um, I think that movie is particularly brilliant because it. Is funny, and genuinely scary, and also pretty romantic. Like it, it managed to give you all of those feelings Mm -hmm. pretty seamlessly. I think Um, I love that movie too. Yeah, I think horror is hard to hard to kind of. I I do think of it as its own separate genre, but I do see it lumped into science fiction and fantasy kind of more often than not in the bookstore. Um and then there's sometimes there's a category that people call dark fantasy which is basically like it's horror with like fantasy elements in it or it's like really scary fantasy I guess for uh-huh. the lack of a better word.
1: Yeah. I guess when I think horror I'm thinking like psychological horror which puts me closer to mystery but you are correct that it can vary just as much as any genre can, you know. There's yeah. comedic sci-fi. I mean, there's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is absolutely comedic sci-fi. And, mm-hmm. Terry Pratchett, you know. which is comedic fantasy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, so everything, you know, even within each genre, you can encompass other genres, too. Well, um, I guess
0: that's, maybe that's really more that. There's horror and there's comedy, and they're not separate genres, but you find horror and comedy in pretty much every genre, perhaps.
1: Right, yeah.
0: Drama, comedy, horror. So, yeah, that's often where I sometimes see horror shelves. And I'm kind of like, but it really, though, does it really belong here? (laughs) I don't know, does it? So I I kind of side-eye that. I like, I mean, as I've mentioned several times on this podcast, I do like horror. It is something that I enjoy. I like being scared. Um, I love the adrenaline rush of many things. I love amusement parks, Mark and I every year for our anniversary our anniversary falls in October which is perfect for us because we always go to an amusement park where they've got their like Halloween haunted uh-huh. houses and, yeah um so we love it that's you know like that's really our jam and um Mark and I also used to skydive um we on weekends, we'd go and jump out of perfectly good airplanes for fun. When we
1: were roommates, and you guys used to invite me all the time, and I'd be like, nope, mm-mm, nope, 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 I'm good. I'm going to stay home. You guys have fun.
0: Yeah, it'd be me, and I've got, like, my backpack full of stuff going to New Jersey, and, like, my skydiving helmet clipped to my bag, and everyone's just looking at me like, what is this for? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I like the adrenaline thrill of horror a lot. So... I think that pretty much wraps it up on my end in terms of this, of science fiction and fantasy, if you have any last thoughts, any contradictions, or...
1: No, I mean, I think that is basically a pretty good overview. It's funny, I, you know, science fiction and fantasy was always one of the genres that I thought I could never get into. I think because I didn't understand what it was about until I started reading it more. I thought that, you know, all science fiction was just going to be aliens and all fantasy was going to be, you know, dudes with swords slaying dragons. And those specific things are not necessarily appealing to me. But once I started reading more sci-fi and fantasy. And my gateway into sci-fi was Ender's Game, um, which is a great book, and I have really complicated feelings about Orson Scott Card, Hmm. Hmm. um, which I won't get into. Um, Further complicated by the fact that I have met him, and, uh, you know, in person, he's a nice individual, but ideologically, and just for so many reasons, I just can't, it's awful. But Ender's Game itself was a great book that was my first introduction, I think I read it when I was 15 or 16, into sci-fi fantasy, and I was like, oh, but this is not, like, there's aliens in it, but it's, it's not about aliens, it's about people and these emotional journeys and the making of a great general and i'm such know, a
0: sucker for those things.
1: <laughs> yeah you know like it, it was so much more than i thought it would be and so um i think everybody who reads genre fiction whatever genre it is uh you know mystery romance sci-fi whatever i think everybody has that gateway book that was mm-hmm. like that first book that led them down that path um So those are really interesting. I think if anybody's got one of those for sci-fi fantasy, tell us what your gateway book was.
0: I don't think I had one. I think I just... You just always read it. The same thing with young adult. Like, I never left that part. Mm -hmm. I came into adult science fiction fantasy from children's.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think a lot of children's fiction is just naturally has is usually fantasy there 's usually a lot of weird magical stuff going mm-hmm. on in kids books because they 're about adventure, and yeah, exactly, Narnia and Harry Potter and all that stuff is just you know it 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 facilitates adventure to have you know peter Pan
0: and yeah the the sense of wonder that often comes with fantasy mm-hmm. in particular, I think is very conducive to children 's fiction, so i yeah, I came into adult science fiction fantasy from from children's period, um, when I was a kid, Isaac Asimov actually wrote, like, middle grade series about this robot called Norby, and I, like, devoured all of them. Um, so that's kind of, like, the first book I could think of that was probably what we would call science fiction, you know? Mm-hmm. Adult science fiction-wise... I didn't really get into that. I mean, you're you're the one who introduced me to Ender's game and then mm-hmm. I probably just like read them all in like a day. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, not not Ender's Shadow, but just like Ender's books.
1: I do like the Shadow series, but it's a v I it's a very different. I almost I don't think of them as connected. Like in my mind they're just two totally separate things.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people love the Bean books, but I was less interested in Bean. I was just kind of like, I just want to read about Ender. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think, I guess, like, a lot of the books that I was assigned reading for school fall under, kind of science fiction speculative. Like I said, I read The Handmaid's Tale for high school. You know, I read um, Octavia Butler for the first time in middle school. And that was a assigned reading for us too. Octavia Butler, actually for me at that time was a local author. She mm-hmm. lived in my hometown, um, when she was still living and we read the book Kindred, which is really hard for an eighth grader. <laughs> um, yeah, I was in, but I was like in like an advanced group of, like right. writers. There there's like four of us, and we had to like go home with like a special like slip, be like, this book contains a lot of hard, you know, hard subjects. If you're okay with it, then we're we'll, we're gonna read this in class. And that was kind of honestly, that was like it made the biggest impact on me mm-hmm. for many many reasons. Kindred is an amazing book. It involves time travel and slavery and all of the. That's right. We didn't even talk about time travel. Time travel. <laughs> yep. Which. Is also kind of fantasy, even though it's kind of yeah. often got science-y. a science-y, you know, yeah. sciencey back part of it. Um, but yeah, that was it involves time travel and the horrors of slavery, basically, is kind of really what it boils down to. Really excellent book. But because of that, because Kindred left such a deep impression on me when I was 13, I went out and read every other Octavia Butler book that I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, I think that I kind of point to as, like, the book that really propelled me beyond children's, children's science fiction fantasy into the adult realm.
1: Right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And then fantasy, I never left. It was always there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I I don't typically read as much adult fantasy. I think I read more adult sci-fi than I do YA sci-fi.
1: I agree. Yeah. Sci-fi, I read more adult. Fantasy, I read more YA
0: yeah adult fantasy maybe because I just don't see a lot of women write adult science adult fantasy I mean there are like I love Jacqueline Carey Mm -hmm. I love her um N.K. Jemisin is really wonderful but I feel a lot of adult fantasy is often that kind of like epic quest structure which honestly I've already read I've read Lord of the Rings I don't really need to read it (laughs) Yeah, In multiple iterations.
1: (laughs) Beyond Lord of the Rings and The Mists of Avalon, which, again, I read when I was about 15. And that's written um, by a woman. I love that book. It is written by a woman. Um, Also some problematic stuff with that author, but I I love that book um, a lot. I read that when I was 15, and that was that did a lot of things for me that book yeah (laughs) a lot of great things for me but um i would
0: argue that the perfect age to read mists of avalon is when you're 14 15 because that's when i read it too
1: (laughs) yeah i was 15 and i was
0: like whoa this is (laughs) mind-blowing
1: yeah this is great i mean it was very um it was very sexy but it was really female-centric and it was taking the king arthur legend but telling it from the perspective of these women, and it was there's a lot of stuff that was really great about it that was really great to read at 15. And actually, uh, that is one of my rereads that I reread somewhat often, although I haven't read it in a few years now. And Ender's Game used to be one of my rereads, uh, but I haven't read that one in a few years now, too. Um.
0: I have something similar with... A, it's a book called The Red Tent by Anita Diamante, mm-hmm. and that's... Uh, Reimagining of the Jacob, Rachel, Leah story, but mm-hmm. told it's again female centric. That whole narrative is told from all the women in, involved in that story. Um, I, I read that around the same age, I think I was like 14, 15, and it just left this real indelible mark. And I just like used to re-read that almost every year. Um, like all of my comfort rereads tend to be fantasy based and they also tend to get really rough emotionally but also have a really satisfying emotional end so like i need that catharsis catharsis yeah Mm yeah i
1: I would say that's true of every single book that is a comfort reread they destroy me emotionally and then put me back together
0: yes i would agree i would agree with that
1: yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah sci-fi fantasy pretty
0: great as you can tell we are clearly fans (laughs) (laughs) all right so what else? What are you reading? I just finished A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Mm. Moss, Pub Crawl alumna. Um, I really, really enjoyed this book. Um, I, I I, I liked A Court of Mist... A Court of Rose... Sorry. Thorn and, A and Thorns and Roses. And Roses. <laughs> la, 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 la. The, the series' names, man, they just tripped me up. Um, A Court of Thorns and Roses, I read. And... I, I like Sarah's other series a little bit better, the the Throne of Glass series, which is a little bit more epic fantasy, and, you know, it's about a female assassin named Selena and everything. It's that a little bit more action-packed, whereas A Court of Thorns and Roses was a bit more romance-focused, um, and these books are definitely romantic. They're sexy, and, like, really, sometimes, like, really sexy to the point where I was like, whew, I'm not sure I should be listening to this at work. <laughs> Um, but A Court of Mist and Fury, I really, really enjoyed. Just really wonderful character development, and it has a lot of the things I like in fantasy. You know, like, political intrigue and training montages. Weirdly, I like training montages. Um, so I I read that. I am... I also reread, because I read them earlier, uh, The Rose and the Dagger by Rene Attier. So I read that before it was published, so I reread that after it came out, and The Star Touched Queen by Roshni Chokshi, who we'd interviewed for Pub Crawl. So I read those, and I think I'm out of my reading rut. I think maybe maybe I needed a Court of Mist and Fury to just like knock me out mm-hmm. of it and get me into reading again. Yeah, well, you passed it on to me. So so you should read A Court of Mist and Fury. Maybe that will break your reading rut. I should. I
1: have fully inherited your reading rut. I have not read a single thing. My husband and I are reading aloud still, and we've actually been doing that a lot, and it's great. We just finished Red Rising, which I've read before, but this is his first time. And we started Morning... No, Golden second Sun. One. Golden Sun is number two, so we started that. And I think... Red Rising is the quickest time we've ever finished a book aloud. Really? That book is so thick. Mm Mm-hmm. But I mean we read every single night. Usually we either we either read every night but we read like a chapter and then go to bed, or we don't read every night, we read maybe three times Night or three times a week, rather, but then we read, you know, several more chapters. We read every night and we read at least four to five chapters per (laughs) night. He could not put it down, and it's actually really funny. He, you know, he would read a chapter, then I would read a chapter, and then I would hand it back to him, and he would read, and I would fall asleep um because we're in bed and I'm tired and it's soothing listening to his voice and I had I've read the book before so it's fine for me to fall asleep and he would just keep reading out loud like three more chapters <laughs> while <I was> sleeping <laughs> so the next night when it would be time to read our book I I'd, I'd pick it up and I'd turn to where we we were and I was like whoa this is not where we were when I fell asleep and he's like yeah I kept reading but he read aloud the whole time in case <laughs> I woke up um That's dedication. So that's, a, that's adorable. Yes, it um, is. And, and yeah, so we plowed through that. So now we're reading Golden Sun. But other than that, I mean, I have not, I have not even looked at my library lists. Like I, I get a bunch of eBooks from the library. That's how I do a lot of my reading. And I'll get email notifications when books come in. And I haven't even downloaded them to my Kindle. Like they've come in and you have, you know, like 24 hours or something to like, quote-unquote, check out the book once it's your turn in line. And if you don't, then it just goes to the next person. And I haven't even bothered. I've just been like, I don't... I'm I'm not going to hold this book for 27 days when someone else is waiting behind me to read it when I know that I'm not going to read it. Like, I'm just not in that place. So I have not read a single thing.
0: Yeah, I'm, I think I'm out of my reading rent. I think... I was coming out of it after having finished The City of Dreaming Books, like, because I I basically Mm -hmm. didn't read a book for a a month, like, a whole month. I didn't really read anything new. I read... I reread that one from start to finish, but I also kind of, like, reread my favorite bits of, like, all my comfort (laughs) books, but they don't really count because they're not, like, a whole book. Yeah. Um... So, but I think I'm at it, like, I'm... I, like, I'm looking forward to new things again as opposed to just wanting to reread... Yeah. stuff that I know is a guaranteed win because <laughs> there is that kind of element of uncertainty when you pick up a book right when mm-hmm. you know you haven't read it before and you're excited about it and you're hopeful that it will be a hit for you but sometimes it isn't and that disappointment I think maybe that disappointment is what caused my reason- reading rut too because I kind of read a string of books where I was just like I really wanted to love this but I just didn't yeah <laughs> You know, it just didn't hit with me in some way, so I think I just, and I think because I was emotionally exhausted by that point, I was just like, I have too many, like, just the past couple of books I read, just like made me feel too many things, and now I'm just tired, and I just want to like laugh and not care. <laughs> so I think that's what I need. I just needed that like month to reset myself, and now I'm just like, all right, yeah, I'm willing to try this out. I'm willing to try something new. I'm willing to see if. It will be a hit for me, or if it will be a disappointment. So, I think, I think I'm out of it now. But it took about a month for sure. I think yeah. it took it. Did, it took a little longer than I would have liked, but yeah. Reading ruts come and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, are you working on anything?
1: I am, uh, as you well know. <laughs> I, but for our listeners, I have been working on my. Work in progress, um, such as it is, um, uh, more work, less progress, I guess. <laughs> um, and JJ is my critique partner and I had sent her my long shitty synopsis over the weekend and had been talking to her a lot on G chat about just where he was. And I was so stuck and I didn't know what to do moving forward, And so we had a couple of great conversations, um, that were helpful. And then I sent you my synopsis and JJ wrote me, uh, essentially an editorial letter. If you can write an editorial letter when, (laughs) when nobody has sent you anything worth, um, (laughs) editing and she was, it was my turn to get, The tough love. I think we talked way back in our critique partner podcast about how I always used to say to you, you know what, you're wrong (laughs) and you're just not, you're not coming at this from the right angle and you're just, you know, whatever. And I just used to give you a lot of tough love and our our situations have completely reversed and you very kindly and gently were like, you are a hot mess. You need to sit down. You need to think about your life and think about your choices <laughs> and, <laughs> and start again. Uh, and you are a hundred percent right. Um, and I thought for a little while about, you know, just taking a shortcut again and <laughs> ignoring you. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I have, I'm a hot mess with my work in progress and, uh, but I'm excited. It was a really wonderful, um, really, really helpful email and discussion. And I was joking kind of on Twitter that I feel bad for everyone who doesn't have JJ as a (laughs) critique partner because they don't, they don't get the, you know, the benefit of this. Um, but I really kind of mean it. I mean, you, (laughs) you told me what I needed to hear and I've been trying not to hear that thing, (laughs) uh, but you just, you laid it out for me and it's true. And I think that ultimately, um, I'll be much better off for taking your advice for my next steps. So that's what I'm working on.
0: What I wanted to get at was what I was sensing was fear. Mm-hmm. That yeah, was I'm terrified, it. basically. In, in you know, and I, you know, Kelly and I had been talking about this project and, you know, I would said, you know, write it long shitty synopsis because that's usually what I do before I start a project. I sit down and I just kind of write it out, like, talk to myself more or less this is what i this is going to happen and this is the story and and i'm telling myself the story and i and it it works for me obviously this is not going to work for everybody but i told kelly you know why don't you sit down and and write this and she sent it back to me and i'm reading it and i was like you're still scared of moving forward
1: yeah, it was really bad, guys. It was, <laughs> but the reason that it was bad, and it's so funny because um, all the things that JJ said to me, I completely agree with. And if somebody else had put this synopsis or these pages, because um, after I read, you know, after I read your Molly, I went back and I read my actual work in progress, the actual writing itself. Um, if anybody had put this in front of me, anyone else, I would have immediately. Picked out all of the exact things that you did because it's so glaringly obvious that there is no heart or emotional thread to my story right now. I'm just forcing, you know, I don't know what to do and I'm panicking. And so I'm like, well, these characters are going to do this and they're going to do that and they're going to do this other thing. And it, none of it makes sense. None of there's no intent. There's no motivation. There's no momentum. It's just like a slog basically (laughs) where nothing is happening because you know, the other thing too is that JJ was breaking out the emotional beats of my story for me. And she was like, okay, ignore all this crap. Here's like the emotional, like boom, boom, boom that you need to hit. And she was like, this should happen by no later than chapter five. This should happen by no later than, you know, your midpoint or whatever, as she was going through with it with me. And I was like, oh my God, like it was going to take me a million years to get to that point the <laughs> way I was writing because just nothing was happening. I was writing words and words and words and words. I, I honestly have about five pages of my two protagonists sitting in a room together, not speaking, and not doing anything. They're mad at each other, and they're just sitting in the room, not talking, not going anywhere, not doing anything. For, like, four pages.
0: You know what <laughs> so, that reminds me of, Kelly? What? That scene in Franny and Zooey with just the contents of the uh, yeah. medicine cabinet. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not great. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, but I feel really, um, I still feel scared because as you mentioned, a lot of it is, uh, a fear kind of that's holding me back. So I still feel that, but I also feel like now that I have named it, Mm
0: -hmm. um, Mm -hmm.
1: it will be, it will be something that I can actively be like, okay, I'm afraid of this. Now, how do I, work through that. Because before I just, I didn't want to face that or acknowledge that or do the things that I knew that I had to do. I wanted to just take a bunch of shortcuts and end up with a novel anyway. <laughs> it sounds really great, right? But that's not how you write a novel. Oh, and so, I told like um, we could
0: all do it that way,
1: right? Uh, <laughs> so that's been great, and I I do feel actually really positive about it. It's funny I could even tell like just the way you opened the letter. <laughs> you, you were just like, "Oh, Kelly, oh, honey, <laughs> uh, oh, sweet baby child, <laughs> what are you doing?" <laughs> Because that's the other thing, too, is I've been talking to JJ about this project for a really long time, but I haven't actually shown her any of it because I know it's garbage. And it's not garbage in that way that, like, oh, it's a rough draft and, oh, I I have to polish it. It's garbage in that it's not a story. Like, it it is not a story. All the things that we talk about here on this podcast about what makes a story – the writing that I've accumulated does not have any of those things. <laughs> it's just words on a page. And so, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's, I'm excited. It's going to be good. It's well, I'm glad be good. you're excited. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What are you working on lately?
0: Um, so last week I finished an essay, actually, for an anthology. Um, I'm, I wasn't invited to participate. It was just like an open call for submissions, So I decided I was going to write a personal essay. I actually like writing personal essays. Um, mm-hmm. Weirdly. So when I was a freshman at NYU, I, every freshman there has to take a class that they call writing the essay. And everyone hates this class except me. <laughs> i really enjoyed it um it was just it was just a class about expository writing and it wasn't like my high school papers where i had you know i I had a book and i had to write up my thesis and i had to support that thesis with evidence and blah 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 i mean i was pretty good at writing papers in high school anyway but this was a little bit different this to me opened up a lot of things and i could be a lot more personal and it was you know It was basically a class on how to write a personal essay, and I loved this form. I really love this form a lot. And um, so, like, if you read my blog, like, over the years, you've seen that I, like, start to, like, a lot of my more critical pieces, a lot of my book reviews these days tend to be personal essays, Um, you know, things like that. Like, over time, that's sort of the way I've developed my writing, um, my nonfiction writing anyway. So I wrote an essay um, that I called Donuts. <laughs> um, and it was about, and it is about my time at Korean school and why I cannot eat donuts anymore. <laughs> um, so I, I wrote that last week. Um, I don't know how good it is because I was dog sitting Bentley at the time, and that dog needs to be walked about ten miles a day. Um, so like every hour on the hour, it was like another two mile walk and come back and like try and work some more. Um, I'm also waffling. On a horror short story. That. I mean. I All of my short story ideas are horror. Mostly because I think. Short. The shorter the form. The better the horror story. <laughs> I agree. Um, it's a little bit like when I re- read Stephen King. Like any of his books that are horror. The shorter they are the better they are. Because they tend to totally lose themselves. In like the last 20% of the book. Um. So, like any like novella length or shorter, I think works really well for horror, so while I can write novels, I've written several novels. I don't know if I've ever written a successful short story, so this is going to be an interesting experiment uh we'll see um and on top of that, so I've seen some interior designs for Wintersong. So, like, I know a lot of people get excited about covers of a book. You know, when the art department comes back and it comes back, presents you the outside of a book. The inside of your book is designed as well. You have a separate designer that lays out the text, that chooses the fonts, that chooses the chapter headings. Sometimes there's artwork. Um, so they sent me some designs, and my publisher is using some artwork that I've done. Um, mm-hmm. So my own artwork will be in the interior design, and they asked me to hand letters some part titles so I did that this weekend um sat down and and hand lettered them I'll I'll put a link to them I I put them up on my Instagram and so now my arm hurts but it was really fun like exercising my creative brain in a different way from writing I Uh think has been very helpful (laughs) um just it's gotten me to write again because like before i was like i felt kind of blocked because i was like so focused on well i need to write the next thing i need to write the next thing and then i was like yeah whatever i'm just gonna do something else to kind of clear my brain and that got me writing again so mm-hmm. but that's what i'm working on um any off mini recommendations mm, no
1: <laughs> nothing this week
0: yeah, I don't think there's anything for me this week either. I think it was a pretty busy week for me at the day job, so I haven't really had anything time to do anything or listen to anything or watch anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, um,
1: Lemonade, Beyonce, there you go. Yes,
0: yeah, so that's been on repeat. If
1: there's if there's anyone left on the planet who hasn't seen or heard it,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lemonade, I I highly recommend. I think I think I usually listen to Hamilton like once a week. Mm-hmm. At the very minimum, you know, like very bare minimum once a week. I don't think I listened to it at all last week because all I did was listen to Lemonade. Mm-hmm. So I love this album. I think it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, me too. So yeah, that, that's it.
0: All right. That's all for this week. Next week, we'll be covering uh, the next installment of our genre series. We'll be doing mysteries and thrillers. As always, if you want more, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Pickles, SoundCloud, or your podcast provider of choice.
1: Also, if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance, as it really does help other listeners find the
0: podcast. We love seeing new reviews, so we get so excited. And if you want more Pub Crawl goodness, you can go to our website, publishingcrawl.com, where we have many more posts and articles about various aspects of reading, writing, and the publishing industry.
1: You can also follow us on Twitter at pubcrawlblog, Blog, as well as on Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram
0: at Publishing Crawl. You can follow me, JJ, at SJJones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter, or my website, sjjones.com.
1: And you can follow me, Kelly, at bookishchick on Twitter or Instagram, or my website at penandparsley.com.
0: Our theme music is Quirky Dog by Kevin McClan, and our logo is designed by Erin Bowman, author of Vengeance Road, available now wherever books are sold.
1: If you have any further questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email us at publishingcrawl at gmail.com, or send us an ask through Tumblr.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Bye! Bye! Thank you.